exciting edition of the School Safety Free Period. I'm Amanda Klinger. And I'm Dr. Amy Klinger. And we are with the Educators School Safety Network. We are a national nonprofit organization and we provide school safety training and resources and technical assistance to schools. Uh, but every once in a while, about once a week, um, we are a little bit less formal, uh, but we're still serious. A little more conversational. Still serious, still academic but we have our school safety free period um, where we talk about school safety and we have a little bit less formality and sometimes our dogs bark in the background. So, which might happen today. Who, who could say? So today uh, we have a little bit of a, a special thing, which is we have a little bit of an addendum, a little PS um, of some additional material that was left over from our webinar from last week. So if you did not watch the webinar last week, you can always on you. <laughs> you can always pause this and go and check that out and watch it. Um, you can watch it here on our YouTube channel. Um, hello again to the folks who are joining us live on YouTube. Uh, you can head to our website. If you're not on, on YouTube, you can head to our website, www.eschoolsafety.org, and you can find all of our online PD and all of the free resources that we produce there. So, um, Last time on our webinar, we did uh, Looking Forward and Looking Back Part 2, which was sort of a catch-up from uh, the webinar that we did at the very beginning of the school year, where we were looking at the research that we do about school-based violent incidents and threats. And then, Dr. Klinger, you had sort of a quick thing that you wanted to, to tack on as part of the discussion um, of our research. Well, I'm, I think what kind of was the catalyst for this week's episode was as I was preparing the webinar and I was looking at, you know, here's what happened in 1819 and violent threats and incidents. And then we, I looked back at 1617 and then I looked at the fall of 19 um, and most everything was pretty much the same, um, trending slightly upwards, but yet there was no real variance and it wasn't really that much different over the past couple of years. And it sort of struck me of why is this not getting better? Why are we spending more money? And I think having probably a little bit more conversations um, and having some media attention. And we have now maybe some tools we didn't have before in terms of social media and, and getting the word out. We have some tools in terms of technology that maybe weren't there 10 years ago. Um, you know, and so there's been these quote unquote advances, but yet fundamentally, and I think, you know, our listeners who are in schools every day will probably attest, um, fundamentally, we are still having a fairly high rate of threats and a fairly high rate, or at least an unacceptable rate of violent incidents that occur in schools. And so if we have done the done everything we can, which I don't think we have, but if we have said, well, we did this initiative and well, we've done this thing and we've done this thing, at some point we need to sort of pump the brakes and go and become a little bit reflective of why is nothing changing? Um, you know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Are we there in terms of school safety? So I thought this episode could be, rather than focusing on particular news events, could be more of a conversation about reflecting on why haven't things changed fundamentally um, over the past 
five years, eight years, um, not just from one school year to the next, but why are we not trending in the in the direction that we would like? And so I think that's what we'd like to do is kind of throw some things out there for your consideration and and kind of reflect together on what are some things that maybe we need to be doing differently or considering differently? So that was the long intro. So um, I, I'll start um, because one in, thing in particular that I've been reflecting on that's kind of jumped out at me a little bit um, has come as a result of looking at um, a lot of the funding proposals that are out there for safety grants and the different things that individual districts are doing and what you're seeing being talked about at conferences and the words that you see introduced into a lot of legislation. And they tend to center around a few, and, and I don't want to use the word buzzwords in a derisive way, but a few very common terms that we're hearing more and more. PBIS, which is clearly um, kind of old news in some way, trauma-informed care, um, so we're hearing a lot of those sort of words and those sort of concerns, which I think is good. My my reaction, though, is are we considering those now as additional silos, additional like we do this thing over here and we have a team that does PBIS and we have a different team that does trauma informed and we have another team that does maybe this thing over here. And then we have a separate team that deals with security and safety. And so I, I, I wonder to what extent are we incorporating violence prevention and school safety concerns and identifying individuals of concern as in threat assessment? To what extent are we incorporating or collaborating all with those different entities in a school? Or are we in a situation where we have these folks over here, where we have parallel play, where we have these folks over here doing their thing with PBIS. And then we have these other folks over here doing their RTI, response to intervention. And then these folks over here doing a threat assessment. And these folks over here working on the safety plan. And none of them ever, they all coexist in the same world, but they don't ever overlap. You have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's tough because on one hand, all of those things do need to be broken out into discrete undertakings to True. a certain extent, right? I mean, everyone can't hold hands and do every uh, thing, you know, every undertaking that happens at an educational institution. I mean, we break into classrooms, so we teach this class over here and we teach this class over right. here. But on on our on the educational side of thing, on the educational systems, we have structures in place, right? So we have curriculum and this is what we're teaching in third grade and this is what we're teaching in fourth grade. And those things build on each other, not by accident, but because we've designed it in that way. There is an overall scheme. There is an overall system in place of what are our goals? Where are we trying to get? And how am I going to do my Theor part? Theoretically, yes. Well, I'm not an educator. Not so always in practice. A, maybe I have a rosier view of that. But, you know, that's that's how we have a plan of attack for those things. I mean, we, you know, those things don't happen by accident because we have an overarching system and then we everyone does their part and we get to where we need to get. And I think sometimes because the work that we do in school safety is so reactive, typically, yeah, 
it is so reactive. It is not proactive. We don't have an overarching plan for a whole school year, let alone um, a long-term strategic plan um, for school safety. And you know, every once in a while we work with school districts that incorporate school safety um, objectives as part of their long-term strategic plan as a district. And that it can be done, but typically that's, that's not how it happens. It is a project that one person undertakes and then wherever it overlaps or wherever it is connected to other things that are happening, okay, well, I'm doing threat assessment, you're doing PBIS. Those seem connected, but I don't yeah. know, you go do your work and I'll do mine. And so well, I think- And I feel like that's maybe part of the problem is that we have schools where we're not necessarily actually saying this, but where we're essentially saying, where we have individuals essentially saying, hey, I don't have time to work on school safety. I'm working on trauma-informed care. Mm-hmm. Or I don't have time to do school safety. I'm working on trying to figure out what our evacuation plan is. I mean, those things all coexist and have overlapping components. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we have kind of unintentionally bifurcated them so that I don't have to worry about PBIS. I'm just worrying about this other, yeah. this other, you know, safety initiative. And so we're doing anti-bullying, but that doesn't have anything to do with our violence prevention. Well, yeah, it does. They're exactly... And so I'm, I, I think sometimes we are unintentionally not maximizing what we're doing because everyone's kind of in their own world doing their own thing, yeah. which is inherent to a certain extent in education, but could be very problematic. And maybe that's a contributing factor to the effectiveness of all of these programs being done in isolation, as opposed to what you're advocating for, which is a grander scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would also... I would also pose that perhaps it is more effective, both in cost and in allocation of resources, to have these programs helping each other, mm-hmm. rather than I'm just reinventing the wheel over here by myself. Yeah. So that's one of them that I think I think we need to give some consideration to, and, and I think it's interesting that these new, quote unquote, new terms sort of emerge but they never emerge in the context of the overlap. It's sort of like, this is a new thing. This is like a shiny thing. Yeah. And, and so I, I am concerned about us pursuing the shiny thing all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's one of the other ones that I think, you know, we talk about a great deal if we want to move on to some of the other ones, um, you know, the, the shiny thing of active shooter response, because that's what everyone talks about, or the shiny thing of, look, we can have a police officer and he can be in our school And so we look at that one shiny thing and then we're pinning all of our attention and all of our our hopes or our focus on that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a a problematic and that's a reason why maybe we're not making long-term gains. Because this is really a conversation about how do you make long-term gains in having less violent threats and incidents, having a more positive school experience for kids, having a safer environment. How do we get a long-term gain? out of that, as opposed to, I want to suppress violence for a couple of weeks by focusing on this one thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you talk about having long-term gains. I mean, it, it is difficult. I mean, that is contrary to human nature to have things that maybe don't show a lot of progress in the near term, things yeah. that are potentially painful or uncomfortable to undertake, and we're not going to reap the benefit 
for a long period of time. I mean, that is contrary to human nature. I mean, that's why it's difficult to change your bad habits. That's why it's difficult to save money. All of the things that, you know, we want to endeavor to do in our personal lives. Yeah. It's, it's pain, you know, it's difficult to do that um, in the same way, in the same reason it's difficult to do that as systems, as organizations, um, with something as, as big of an undertaking as, as something like school safety. So you also talked about what are the things that have been ignored. Um, and again, this is, we're kind of, we, I think we're getting a little far afield. This is examining the question of why are threats not going down? Why are we still seeing this increase um, in school-based violent threats? And so you ask sort of like, what are the things that have been ignored? So we're focusing on um, something that you termed earlier as a shiny object. What are the things that we're ignoring as a result of that? Well, and I think probably the best example of this parallel universe or parallel play or whatever you want to call it is in terms of school climate and culture. So you see people working on school climate and culture initiatives that have to do with, um, you know, academic achievement, which is great, or which has to do with, pub, you know, community relations or outreach to the community or, you know, how kids feel about their experiences at school and missing that whole connection which is really well established through research, mm -hmm. that whole connection between the impact of, of school climate and the perception of safety or the actual level of safety. And so it's kind of interesting that even with um, even when we do care about school climate, which to be honest, is probably not pursued as vigorously as I wish it was in many schools, mm -hmm. but even when we are interested in a positive school climate, it's almost always through the lens of then our kids will do better on tests as opposed to the proven connection that is also there to school safety and to the feeling feelings of security and safety and well-being. And, and so I think, go ahead. But I mean, the student connectedness, the relationship-based culture, those are all part and parcel when we're talking about school climate and culture. And I think, you know, it's important you talk about that, you know, con, you know, doing the work of improving school climate and culture to reach the end of academic achievement. And that's true, but that improving school climate and culture has an end in and of itself of students feeling connected to this organization, students having relationships with adults. And, you know, yeah, obviously our, our first job here, first and foremost, is to educate kids, but also to have well-adjusted human beings. And, you know, we, you know, we kind of, sometimes that part of it gets lost in the shuffle that even if we don't see gains in academic achievement, improving school climate and culture is a worthwhile undertaking. Well, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't remember if it was on a podcast or a webinar, you were talking about what I think is a really important point that maybe you can revisit for a second. And, and you were talking about the whole idea of technology, especially in regards to school safety, technology providing us a way to, uh, I think, I don't know what the term you used, but sort of subcontract out the emotional labor of having to make a relationship with the kid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really critical point. Why don't you talk about that for a second in case, you know, some of our folks have missed that, because I think that's a, a paradigm shift or a new way of looking at it that maybe people haven't considered. Yeah. I mean, I think what we were talking about was in the terms of uh, apps, apps that do monitoring mm -hmm. of student social media posts. 
And or that remember that was the one where they were monitoring whether a student went to the bathroom or not, whether a student oh, left yeah. the room. Yeah. Remember that was the whole like, I don't even need to talk to you anymore. You can just go on the app and go, I need to go see the counselor right. and then just get up and walk out of the room. And you don't we don't even have to interact because yeah. I have your location like you're chipped or something. Um it was even a step beyond just like the app for that. Yeah. And, and I think that's what brought it to our attention. And, you know, here, here's the thing, you know, obviously um, we live in a, in an age where technology has improved a lot of people's lives. You know, people who have access to clean water that they didn't and technology is, is, you know, what we can thank for that. So I, and I am not alone. They have I am, access to interesting things on their Facebook feed that they would never have products that they never would have known existed. Yeah, that they yeah not quite, not quite as much of a greater good there. But, it might not be quite at the same level. Uh, but, but and, and so we have to sort of think really critically of when can technology tools help us improve what we're trying to do? When can technology tools support our work as educators? And when does a technology tool really on its most basic level supplant our interaction or supplant what we're doing? So Unintentionally, example, often. Well, I mean, the example of like me asking for a bathroom pass on my phone, that supplants. The interaction should be, I raise my hand, I need to use the restroom, or I discreetly come up and go, can I uh, run to the restroom, right? Technology inserted there supplants a human interaction. And, I think and if we come at it from the perspective of, well, it's more convenient for you to just put it in the app and then go, we have to rectify the fact that we're giving away the interaction of me being able to say to you, is everything okay? Or, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, do you have your, why don't you get that little piece of the assignment done first and then you can go, it, it, it removes the opportunity for me to have an interaction that has way more significance than just whether or not you really have to go to the bathroom. And I think we, you know, we sometimes it's hard to feel the creep of that, the creep of technology. But, you know, any time that we are, are doing something where technology is replacing a human interaction and technology is replacing emotional labor that is done by a human, um, we have to be really careful about that, especially when we're talking about young people who are developing their brains. Um, and especially when we're talking about in a school setting where those relationships are so critical to the development um, of young people. And I, I think, you know, we don't totally know the impact of all of the social media, of, of all of the technology access, of all of the tools. We don't totally yeah. know the impact yet um, on a lot of people who have grown up not knowing anything differently. We don't know the impact on people my age who grew up and came of age before the ubiquity of the internet and now are immersed in it. And, you know, I, I really hesitate. I think what's really telling, and I don't know if we've talked about this on this podcast, but you read about schools in Silicon Valley where the tech, the titans of technology, the titans of the industry are sending their own children. And you would think that they are like minority report, right? Filled to the gills with technology. They're reading the kids' minds. The minds, the kids' minds are becoming computer. There's no technology in those schools. The, the and that's becoming the, boot the boutique school of, yeah. look how unusual I'm sending my kid to a school that doesn't have technology. But yeah, you're, you're, you. I mean, what, what are the, you know, the money deletes are sending their kids to school where the selling point is there's a whole bunch of adults paying a whole lot of attention to your kid. And we are not supplanting humans with technology and we are not leaning on technology tools and 
we're doing us human people are doing the emotional labor and the interaction not technology and well, and i find it fascinating and i and i can't tell you why but i find it fascinating that by and large educators and education as a culture is very slow to adopt technology and is often reticent to adopt technology in terms of teaching reading or you know doing all these other things but yet for whatever reason we are more willing to take on technology in areas that we don't really know the impact of so we're willing to take on security cameras we're willing to take on apps Modern that sign kids in and out we're so we're willing to do all that but we're dragging our feet at an app that would let you dissect a frog instead of really dissecting a frog so it's just really interesting that we're willing to do that and and i had a really powerful example of this uh, a couple of weeks ago i was working with a, a group that was talking about um, they were working on identifying individuals of students, individuals of concern, and they were using the most low-tech means to document the situation and the witnesses and what happened and where it was, to the point of like we're writing this on paper, but yet they're talking about this high level of technology for surveillance or to you know like you said subcontract out emotional labor but yet where you could have really used a good technological tool to capture what exactly was said and what exactly was the context and what exactly did the other person say they weren't using it for that yeah. and that's what i think is very interesting about that whole dynamic yeah so that's one that I think we need to kind of look at. I think that going back and really having powerful conversations about school climate in conjunction with school safety, in conjunction with um, all of these other things we're trying to do with, with kids who have, are experiencing trauma, kids who are being bullied, kids who are impacted by opioid addiction, all those kind of things those all play into the idea of a safe school environment. And, and I think that the more we can fold those together and really make conscious, deliberate choices about this is what we are willing to give to technology and this is what we are not willing. Because oftentimes, um, I think you raised that point already, they are unintentional choices. Mm -hmm. When I'm standing in the hallway, and we use this example all the time, when I'm, as, when I'm a teacher supervising the cafeteria on my phone, mm -hmm. I'm not accessible to kids. Mm -hmm. um, so that technology has taken me away from the primary responsibility I have in supervision, which is not just making sure the kids don't kill each other, but is to be available, accessible, interacting, paying attention, looking at what kids are saying, having conversations. And that little screen has taken me away from all that. I think, you know, what you said about deliberate in intentional choices, I think is really powerful. You know, the last point we have here about, you know, the unintended consequences of school safety initiatives. And I won't uh, go down that rabbit hole because I feel like we talk about that a lot, but in the absence of being intentional, and strategic and deliberate, we end up with the things that you're talking about, where we're outsourcing emotional labor, where we have unintended consequences of things that we're doing in the name of school safety. And I think both in the realm of school climate and culture and in the realm of, you know, sort of harder measures of school safety, um, whether it's security or drills or all these other things, um, the common thread when we see when we see the work of school safety 
and it's not doing what we want it to do or it's not where we need it to be, the common thread is always it was reactionary. Why did you know? And you read this all, read a news account of, of something that happened, a drill that went bad, um, a reaction, uh, you know, a response to something that wasn't good, and where people are upset afterwards. And you and you listen to the words of the the person who made the decision. It was well, we didn't really think this would happen. Um, I think in the last webinar we talked about where there was a shooting after school, and they were like, well, we we did a lot of training for during the school day, and we just never thought this would happen. That it, that it is we are being reactionary, and we are not being really strategic and intentional and, and deliberate in our choices. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that whole technology piece is really interesting in that, you know, we have, we also see these ridiculous situations where someone is doing something and they think, oh, no one will ever see that in a building with 140 cameras. And they're sending this email that's really inappropriate. Well, no one will ever notice in using the school email. So it's kind of interesting that you're you at the same time have this naiveness among people about what exactly someone will see or not see. And then we're also willing to introduce technology at this really high level of, you know, bullet detection that or, you know, facial recognition. And we and and so there is this this real significant disconnect um, in all areas where technology is concerned. And, and I do want it to say, and actually I was having this conversation with someone yesterday, the difference between, and many of our listeners are not as ancient as I am and have not been in, in education as long, but I'm old enough to remember when we were investigating safety concerns based on hearsay, what somebody said or what someone thinks they saw. Now I'm looking at the camera going, that's you hitting that person and I can see the situation. So there certainly are applications for this technology. And so I don't want to give the impression that we're saying this is a total waste of time. Sure. So there are certainly ways that we have in, that we have been able to use technology successfully. The final thing that I wanted to talk about, or do you have something you want to add to that? No, so you had the last bit about like, so what are we missing? You know, we talked about what are we not focusing on? Uh, you know, what are the things that we need to reflect on further? And then I guess this last question of like, what are we missing? Yeah, and, and the, the only change, and this kind of maybe answers this question, the only significant change that I think we have seen from let's say 2015, 16, to this past, you know, when we're doing this looking back, mm -hmm is I do think, and I can't quantify it because there is no nuanced, insightful research, which I guess is how I'm answering this question, but the only thing that we have really seen as a significant change is more and more people, parents in particular, but also educators, questioning, why are we doing this? Why are we traumatizing kids? Why are we having these realistic drills? Does it really make sense to be locked down in a classroom for eight hours because you're looking for a gun somewhere? Does it make in sense the to march seventh graders through a metal detector every morning? Does it make sense to have 500 cameras where we can see every nook and cranny of things that happen after the fact, after they happen? And I think that's, we are finally getting to the point. So, you know, if we say, what is a, an encouraging trend? I think maybe it is encouraging. Unfortunately, it's taken us a long time to get here, but it is encouraging that we're starting to see more and more people feel empowered or frustrated enough or whatever the motivation is to raise their hand tentatively and quietly and tentatively, timidly ask, why are we doing that thing again? Where before it was, if you wanted to keep kids safe, you'll do whatever we tell you and you will not question. 
that the kids need to be in lockdown for eight hours, peeing in buckets. You will not question that if you want kids to be safe. So I think it is good that we are beginning to have some of those discussions, but we need research and um, we need, to, we need to, to look at what are those costs? We can't just do it because I said so, damn it. We have to do it because we can prove the efficacy of it, that we can examine what are the unintended consequences. And then we need to provide people with the professional development time to be trained in those best practices, not just this is the thing we know how to train and it's fast and it's easy and it's quick and it's active shooter and now we're done. Mm -hmm. So I think hand in hand with that growing sort of unrest is hopefully the catalyst for a better job of providing people with training that is more comprehensive and ongoing and also taking a look at the research and what is what does it really mean and what's really happening instead of just what we kind of feel or anecdotally are supposed to believe. Yeah, and I think you know you talk about that that sort of growing, albeit slowly, growing trend of people sort of respectfully, quietly going, why why are we doing that? That question is very very easy to answer when the work that we're undertaking is strategic and intentional and based yep. in evidence. And, yeah. and that, you know, if, if the, what we're undertaking is strategic and intentional and based in evidence, the first part of the professional development, it'll become very clear to people, why are we doing that? And the question, why are we doing that? And are we sure that that makes sense here in our school, for our school environment, for our population? If the things that we're doing are strategic and intentional and based in evidence, then those questions won't need to be asked because it'll be really yeah. clear for folks. Well, because several years ago, you know, even I would say two or three years ago, it would it was considered almost heresy for someone to go, is that a good idea that we're doing this thing? It was supposed to be, this is what we're doing. You don't know any better. Just let me tell you, this is what you need to do. And I think it's really healthy that we have people beginning to go, because there's a difference, because your pushback can either look like, I'm not dealing with this. I didn't go into education for this. I'm not going to come to this training. I'm not going to listen. I don't want to hear it. Or it can be a much more powerful, productive response, which is, why are we doing that again? Help me to understand the rationale behind that. Is that really a good idea? Is there research to support that? Is there, um, has this been adequately you know, tailored for the needs of our school? Mm -hmm. All of those questions result in a much safer environment than putting your fingers in your ears and going, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. Which or was being really a good, the only response. Or being a good sport and going, they must know. Yeah. And I think that is the change that I can't measure. But I think that is the change that we, so while we look at it and go, we haven't really made any gains in many ways because we haven't. We still are having threats and violent incidents happening with a frequency that we don't want. But the good news or the encouraging part is I think these conversations, these questioning conversations need to continue to grow to push us into doing a better job of making intentional choices about what we do. So I think the last thing you wanted to talk a little bit about John Dewey, I know anytime you can, here's, here's where the college professor comes out. Anytime that you can bring up John Dewey, it's a good day for you. It is a good day to talk about John Dewey. Now there's other people that I would like to talk, and you know, and and we should do a podcast sometime on just why do we not teach the history of education 
at, not today. At, yeah, but we but can. you know, come on. There is some super interesting things. If you ever have nothing to do, go back and take a look at where we have come. And we have just gone in big circles, big. I think if we're going to do a, a whole podcast about the history of education. I want to do a whole podcast episode about the history of some famous school law cases. See, that sounds boring. But I the, think the history John of education Dewey. sounds boring. So. So maybe we should have our listeners vote. We're going to do two really boring podcasts, and then we'll see which one uh, anybody well, no, thinks. Well, we could have them vote. We'll do one of two really boring podcasts. Which do you want to hear? No, I like competing. So you do your boring podcast. Oh, okay. I'll do my boring podcast, and then we'll People see. will vote which was better. Which will be no one, because no one will listen to either one. So it'll be a tie, so we can be friends. It will never be a competition. It'll be a tie accept, at zero. I accept this challenge. Okay, well, so back to John Dewey. So John Dewey, um, you know, John Dewey is is famously credited for talking about what I think is probably the kind of culminating thought in this discussion, which is schools are a reflection of society. So if you don't like what's happening in schools, you have to look at society too. And and I pulled um, uh, the John Dewey quote of the day from School and Society, what the best and wisest parent wants for his own child that must the community want for all of its children. And so that's the question. How much do we want that for all of our kids? Are we willing, what we say privately of what I want for my child, the community, society has to be willing to say, we want that for all kids. And I, and we're not, and clearly we're not there yet and in a lot of areas um, and that's the struggle. But I think it is really important to we're, yes, we have to own this problem as educators, but we also have to understand if we have a continued increase in threats, if we have all the struggles that we're talking about with safety, if you don't like what's happening in schools, you need to look at what's happening in society. So we need the community, we need parents, we need society to help us with this as well. It's not just an educational issue. Cool. So there's your John Dewey fix for the day. <laughs> Maybe we should end every podcast with a John Dewey quote. Probably not. Because the 1899 verbiage doesn't always uh, lend itself well to podcasts. Well, there you have it. So I don't want that to be a threat to anyone. I promise no John Dewey next week. <laughs> so there you have it. That's kind of a, a little bit of a, a little one-off episode for us today talking about some of that stuff. Um you know, please do rate and review and subscribe. As always, we'd like to wave to the folks who join us live on video and we say hello to folks who are joining us on a podcast, either, you know, while you're driving or folding laundry or walking the dog or whatever the case may be. Um, and if you have a colleague who you think, oh, I wish they would have, I wish they would have been able to check this out. You can always um, just send them to our website, www.eschoolsafety.org. Um, you can find us on YouTube. You can listen to this wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but all of our resources and our webinar that we talked about and our research that we talked about and all the other resources um, that we make, those are all housed directly on the website. And if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us directly uh, on Facebook or Twitter or info at eschoolsafety.org. Do you have anything else to add? Nope. We'll see you next time.